Caroline Dowd Higgins, host of Your Working Life, my podcast series featuring thought leaders in the career and personal growth arena with wisdom to help you thrive. This podcast provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. And today, I'm delighted to welcome my very special guest to the show, Laura Vanderkam. Laura, welcome back. Good to hear your voice. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm really excited to catch up. I want to tell our global listening audience all about you. Laura Vanderkam is the author of several time management and productivity books, including I Know How She Does It, What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast, and 168 Hours. Her work has appeared in publications including the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, Fast Company, and Fortune. Laura lives outside of Philadelphia with her husband and four children and blogs at lauravandercam.com. So Laura, let's dive right in. Tell me about the new book, I Know How She Does It. Well, this is a book that came out of a long-standing interest of mine in how women combine uh, demanding careers with raising families at the same time. And I wanted to counter some of the negative literature that is out there about uh, people having it all, as it were. And so the thing that had always struck me about stories about women and work and life is that so much of it is just stories. And stories are great. I love stories, but everyone can tell stories one way or the other. So I wanted to add some actual data to the debate. So I had many, many people keep track of their time for a week, women who had demanding careers and also had kids at home, wound up with a 1,001 days in their lives, which I analyzed and found that, in fact, many people combine work and family just fine. Women have far more balanced lives than the popular narrative conveys. You know, I'm so glad to see that, and I'm grateful that you did the data dive, because you're right, there's a lot of uh, story out there, and as you said, there are two sides to the story, so it's really important to know that some women, many women, are doing both and and thriving. But let's go a little deeper. You say that women shouldn't fear that, that big job, right, that executive or leadership role. Tell me why. Well, the interesting thing about big jobs is, first, I found that they don't require quite as many extra hours as people often think. So the average woman in my study who was making six figures, by the way, worked 44 hours a week. Now, 44 is more than 40, but it is not a lot more than 40, right? So whereas the average woman with a full-time job works somewhere between 35 to 40 hours a week and earns um, less than $40,000 a year. So the difference in number of hours required for a six-figure job versus a much more normal job is not as vast as one might believe. And then the other thing about having that big job that is demanding and higher up the ladder is that often it comes with more autonomy, that you get to choose how you spend your time, and with that often comes more flexibility. Flexibility. I found that many of the women in my study did have quite a bit of flexibility in their working lives, even if they weren't jobs that anyone would have thought of as flexible. So the higher you go, the more control you get of your time. And so that's something people need to keep in mind. And that time control, that autonomy, that flexibility, that is a precious commodity to me. And I know to so many women that um, can make or break your experience at work. It totally can. And, and if you are in charge, then 
shockingly, things happen when you want them to happen. Or even if you just establish yourself as the premier expert in a certain area within your company, again, things happen when you want them to happen because people need you there. And so it's about investing in this career capital and relationship capital over the course of your career. So then you can use it when you need it. So interesting for me to hear the example about 44 hours, and that's encouraging. But I know that some women are working longer hours, but they still have great personal lives. So tell me about their strategies. So there are many strategies you can use to have a great personal life, even if you are working long hours. The first is simply to realize that there are 168 hours in a week. People don't think about 168-hour weeks. They think about 24-hour days, and then that gets us into trouble because if we're working late one night, we're like, oh, I'm always working late. Well, it was one night. I mean, let's look at the whole week. Um, So even if you work pretty long hours, that still leaves lots of time for other things. If you are working 60 hours a week, which is far, far more than the vast majority of people work, and you are sleeping eight hours a night, so that's 56 hours a week, that would still leave 52 hours for other things. So again, quite a bit of time available, even if you are working extremely long hours. Now, you might need to be a little bit creative in how you work those hours, and I found that many women were. So a couple strategies I saw, a big one was working what I call a split shift which amounts to doing a little bit of work at night after the kids go to bed or after you've done whatever else you want to do in your personal life for the evening. Um, Many women would leave work at a relatively reasonable hour, whatever that was for them, five, six, spend the evening with their families, do more work at night after the kids went to bed. And this way they were trading off work time for TV time as opposed to work time for family time. And this was a way they could put in the hours uh, while still seeing particularly young children who might go to bed earlier. Another key strategy is, again, thinking in terms of weeks, not days. So particularly women who traveled for work might be gone, say, two nights during the week. And if you only looked at those two days, you would think, oh, that's completely incompatible with having a good family life. But turns out there are seven days in a week. So if you're gone two nights and you're home five, Five is much greater than two. And so it might help to think about, well, I'm putting in my hours on these two long days, and then I can have a much more reasonable life the rest of the week. And that really is the mindset that a lot of people had. I love that you're really just boiling it down to math. You know, I think quite often we we don't think about that. And 168 hours is a lot of time, and it really puts it all in great perspective. You know, I'm also fascinated by the neuroscience behind this that's telling us that short sprints of intensive work with a break afterward are incredibly productive and effective. So that split schedule to me sounds really smart and efficient. Any any talk from these women about that, about how it has increased productivity? Well, certainly it can. Like anything, you have to be mindful about it. And, and some people think that they're going to go to back to work after the kids go to bed and get through like a thousand email backlog. Well, you wouldn't do that between eight and five during the day. So you're not going to do it between eight and 10 at night either. So let's be right. realistic about it. Like, like any other work shift, you need to set your intention for it, figure out what you need to get done, get it done and then be done. Um, but certainly short sprints can, can help a lot. And I also found that people who were very Productive at work without working around the clock were good about planning in breaks and focusing during the time that they were choosing to work. We can often get incredibly distracted with all the various things going on online, and those are breaks but we don't view them as breaks. People are like, oh, I've been working for 12 hours. Well, no, you really haven't. I mean, you're on Facebook every 90 minutes through the whole day, but if you don't count that as a break, even though it is – you're going to think you're working a lot more than you actually are. 
Very good point. You know, it's interesting. The the new world of work uh, tends to be virtual. A lot of remote workers were not always in the office as such. But how would you advise women and men listening to be seen at work without having to put in that obligatory FaceTime? Well, it is true that we are getting away from FaceTime, which I think is wonderful because it's so silly. I mean, Yes, you do need to see your colleagues. You need to see the people you work with. But five days a week is probably overkill. <laughs> and so yeah. I think that when we have these stories of like, oh, well, is it more productive to work at home or in the office? It's like, well, these are not either or questions. For many, many jobs, you could have some combination of both and get the best of both worlds, sort of the focus, drill down, work at home or work somewhere else kind of time, and then maybe the more collaborative time that you are in the office. And so I really encourage people to think about how they could split that if your job is such that that is allowed. Uh, But even if you are in a distributed team where everyone is remote, there's lots of ways you can make sure that you still keep each other top of mind. Uh, You can get on telephone, the telephone instead of just emailing each other, do Skype calls, Make sure you actually go visit each other from time to time. Maintain that social relationship. Go to conferences. Do retreats together. Um, Go do social stuff with your colleagues. A lot of women have an unfortunate mindset that that is not necessary. It's nice, but not necessary. And then we get ourselves into trouble because we're being very efficient, but nobody cares because they don't like you because they're not hanging out with you. (laughs) And that's too bad. But that is the way the human brain works. Uh, So we have to be mindful of both aspects of work, that it's not just efficiently getting the work done. It's also about how we manage our relationships with everyone we're working with. And that just requires time as well. It does. It does. Laura, I know so many women have said they they can do more because they have someone cleaning the house or someone picking up the kids, right? They've outsourced uh, a lot of those home chores. But what about the woman or the man where that isn't an option? What can they do instead? You've come up with some creative solutions. Well, the first thing I would say is that, yes, while it costs money to outsource household chores, it costs absolutely nothing to lower your standards. So I would (laughs) highly suggest that if you are spending a lot of time on chores and errands, and you know this, that you've tracked your time and look at how you're spending it, and you're spending more than you want on chores and errands, you look at what you're doing and say, well, what is really important that absolutely has to happen to keep, keep this place functional? And what is not as necessary? Uh, there's there's many things that don't absolutely have to get done. Some some outsourcing costs very little at all. I mean, people spend a lot of time running errands. Um, when something like Amazon Prime, uh, it's it's some chunk of money for the whole year, but you would easily save that in gas by not going to the store for random items that you can get delivered from Amazon. Um, you know, there's there's simple things such as batching errands, like if you're shopping for groceries, going less often, and then it'll take less time. You can make simpler meals at home. There's really no rule that even if you are cooking dinner nightly, it has to be an hour-long ordeal every time. There's lots of very simple meals that you can make, and it might be worth learning a few 20-minute type meals to, to have that take less time. Uh, you know, you can teach other people in your household to do things. Uh, children especially can start doing, for instance, their own laundry uh, at a certain point when you feel they're reasonably responsible. Uh, they can certainly do a lot of the picking up around the house. And and so, you know, even 
things like driving children around, this is something I think in the past people were more accustomed to working with friends and neighbors to organize. And we may have fallen out of the habits of carpooling, but it's a good habit to get back in if everyone wants to save themselves some time. So if you're not looking for ways to have paid solutions to these issues, you can either lower your standards, figure out ways to minimize things, and then get help from friends, relations, other people in your community uh, that aren't necessarily paid relationships, but are ones where you can all help each other out. Good stuff. So, Laura, everybody wants more me time, and I think uh, that can be tough, right? How do we make time for that and prioritize ourselves in our busy lives when we have that big job and we also have family? It's a good question, and I think the key thing for people to realize is that even incredibly busy people do have leisure time. The thing is that First, it's probably not as much as they want, which is maybe just the nature of life. I mean, we always want more leisure time, right? But second, we have leisure time, but we spend it in ways that are very easy to do, but don't necessarily feel as relaxing as more rejuvenating, thoughtful leisure might be. And so what I say is that even very busy people tend to watch some television. Even very busy people spend some quantity of time on social media. That is leisure time. It's just that it often doesn't feel like it because in the case of social media, it's coming in little bursts or it's done while we're thinking we're in work mode because we just checked our email and then we went over to the social media sites. Or TV is very easy. It's there. You can do it at night without hiring a babysitter or making plans or changing clothes or anything like that. But again, it doesn't feel all that rejuvenating or relaxing. So the key is to recognize that that time does exist. It's just we're spending it in ways that don't necessarily feel that great. And so you can think about, well, if I put a little bit more thought into it, could I change some of this easy leisure time into something that requires a little bit more effort, but in the long run would be more fun? And so if you look at your calendar kind of a week at the time, I think Friday afternoon is a really good time for this. Look at the rest of the week and say, well, what have I built in that is fun? And maybe it's that you choose to text a friend and say, could we get together for coffee you know, breakfast maybe one morning or next weekend could we carve out an hour for coffee? And then that's a much more fun form of leisure. It took work. Obviously, you had to get together with your friend. You had to go somewhere, do something. But it's much more memorable than that TV time. Well, what I love is you're saying, look, give yourself permission to build in fun. It's not just going to happen on its own. You've got to take that step. So excellent, excellent advice. Laura Vanderkam, what a joy to have you on the show. Your new book is I Know How She Does It. Tell us how we can buy your books and also follow you online. Yes, of course. Well, my books are available in most major bookstores, of course, online, Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com. And you can find me online. My website is lauravandercam.com. That's just my name. I'm also on Twitter, probably way too much, at lvandercam and Facebook, Laura Vandercam author. And I love to interact with readers and I would love to hear from some of your listeners through all those channels. Fantastic. Laura, I wish you continued success. I hope our paths cross again soon and best wishes with the new book. Thank you so much. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in to Your Working Life, where my goal is to help you design your career destiny so it doesn't happen by default. The show is now available on iTunes, YouTube, and Stitcher. Be sure to subscribe so you get new shows every week. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Take good care.